Hey, welcome to the Rookie Preacher Podcast. We are your hosts, Brandon Kelly and Joe Hoagland, and our goal is to help you preach and lead better. All right, so today we have on Glenn Shady. Uh, it should be a very exciting conversation with Glenn. And uh, just just to give you some context on on who Glenn is, he's the uh, he, he's going to France as a missionary, um, leaving in January 2017 uh, with uh, his organization it's called French Christian Mission. And uh, Glenn was born in Bluffton, Indiana. He graduated with a bachelor's in ministry uh, from Cincinnati Christian University in 2010. Um, he's going to graduate with his uh, master's uh, this spring from Cincinnati Christian University. He's uh, been married to Jessica for eight years. Uh, they have three children, Elizabeth, Hannah, and Madeline. And he was a youth minister in Lancaster, Ohio from July 2008 to April 2012. And uh, again, he's leaving for France next January. Uh, Glenn's a big Cubs, Colts, Pacers, and Notre Dame Irish fan, um, which, you know, that that's a little rough right there. I'm just going to point that out. But, <laughs> but you know, we, we, we can work on that, Glenn. I mean, um, and, that's it. <laughs> and Glenn has... Uh, he loves to travel. He's traveled to Northern Ireland, Mexico, Japan, Germany, Belgium, Austria, and France already. So, um, you know, just to give our listeners a little bit of background, um, you know, reason I was so excited to bring Glenn on was Glenn was my youth minister in high school for, you know, all four years of that and made a big, huge impact in my life. And I know he's going to do awesome things in France, uh, preaching and leading there. So I just, uh, you know, I wanted to introduce Glenn and his work to all our listeners out there. So, um, so as we get started, Glenn, I just want to start off by uh, having you give us some context on where you're at right now and uh, what you've done in ministry up until this point. Um, well, I want to thank you guys for having me. It's exciting to be on the podcast. Um, my ministry experience actually started. I think when I was a student at Ball State University, I came out of high school wanting to study business and Japanese language. Um, but in my first two years there, I grew increasingly frustrated with going to class and just wanted to spend all my time at the local campus ministry. Um, and eventually, uh, it was my now wife who I, who I met there that suggested that maybe that was actually pointing me uh, toward my career. And so that's what prompted me to transfer to uh, Cincinnati Christian University. And uh, after a year there, I became even more restless and really just wanted to dive into ministry, wanted to finish my degree, but wanted to get going. So that's when I started sending my resume out and was blessed to uh, have the experience at Joe's Church, the Fifth Avenue Church of Christ in Lancaster, Ohio. And uh, they hired me on while I finished my degree and it was there for four uh, great years. It was uh, during the, the end of the third year that I was there that my wife and I had that opportunity to go to, uh, to go to Europe and just speak with people who were working there, meet people there. We went to uh, churches in Belgium, Austria, and Germany 
And, uh, and it really, really solidified um, our dreams and desires to do mission work. And so uh, when we got back from that, it was about a month later that we went to the church leaders and said, you know, we're going to leave in about a year so that I can uh, pursue my master's degree in theology. And after I get done with that degree, um, we're going to go over to Europe to, to be missionaries. And we've been following that plan for about four years now, uh, wrapping up my degree. During this time, I've just tried to be the biggest volunteer at my church. Um, I've done uh, Sunday school in a small group, uh, been a deacon of outreach. Uh, my brother's the part-time children's worker, so I obviously get brought into that a lot as well. And, uh, and that's been at the Western Hills Church of Christ. And so even though I haven't been hired on there, they've offered me some incredible ministry growth opportunities um, while I've been pursuing my degree as well. And then, you know, what's been a really new uh, ministry experience in the last year is uh, starting a nonprofit, getting tax-exempt status, pulling together a board, and, uh, and these introductory foundational steps toward uh, going to the mission field independently. So that's kind of been my ministry story leading up to this point. Cool. Awesome. Uh, I'm curious, when when you're thinking about going to France, um, when you were going and, and talking with the people who are already there, what, what were some of the things that they told you to prepare for as you prepare to come and go to France and, and, and do the ministry work that you're going to do there? Well, I had a, a really unique opportunity a couple of summers ago um, to go to France uh, for three weeks. This was by myself. And um, I, I have to tell the story of how it came together because it's so neat. It, basically, I knew no one in France. And I started, you know, basically bothering every person in my life who I knew was connected to missions. Who do you know in France? And the answer I kept getting was no one, no one. Well, finally, one of my professors, Steve Skaggs, told me to check out the website for the Sudan International Mission. And uh, Sudan is many hundreds, if not thousands of miles from France. And so I was a bit perplexed. Um, but he encouraged me to check it out nonetheless. And sure enough, they have one. they had one person that was up in France. She had an outdated blog. But there was an email address, so I emailed her, and she took my email and passed it on, and it got passed on, and it got passed on, and eventually this group of uh, uh, English-speaking believers um, responded and wanted me to come over. Most of them were British expats, and uh, and so they uh, invited me to stay in their homes, and I was there for three weeks, and. They did not accept one dime from me for that experience. They just wanted to give me this opportunity. And so uh, what I spent my time doing there was any ministry leader I could that knew enough English, or if we had a translator to work with me, I sat them down and just asked them questions. And um, France is a, a country of barriers for the gospel. It's a, a worst case scenario in, in many ways. Uh, but as far as what they impressed upon me for preparation, um, I mean, the French love their French, and it's absolutely essential that you master the language. Uh, I can tell you that while I was there, I would try 
to order things off of menus and say little phrases as much as I could. And I've not studied French, and so it was very limited. And if your pronunciation is not on, they are not understanding you. And so it's not just knowing the theory of the language or just the words in your head, but you have to be able to execute in order to communicate well there. And if you're not doing it well, they'll probably call you out on it, but they'll definitely ignore you. And nonetheless, uh, just to give you an example that they told me to kind of impress this upon me is uh, there's apparently a committee within the French government that is um, its sole function is to preserve the language. And so, for example, we create something called a computer. And so the Germans say, oh, let's call it DOS computer. That works. But the French say, no, no, no. We're going to make a whole new word because it needs to be French. And so <laughs> things like that, they just uh, uh, are, are in love with their nation, in love with their language. And you have to be willing to embody it and master it in order to, uh, to have any success there whatsoever. That's the big thing they impressed upon me. On a prepared question, but you said that there's not very um, a very big missionary presence in France. Um, you know, there is in Germany and these other countries. So I was just wondering uh, if you have any theories on why that is right now. Ted, I don't know necessarily why, because there are people that go to Germany. There are people that go to Italy. And these are countries with similar... Uh, similar issues and similar barriers as far as taking the gospel. And so I'm not sure why people have chosen to go to those countries rather than France, Um, especially, I mean, when France is just known to be this beautiful, wonderful place. But as far as in general, why do people not go to France uh, by itself? There are just a, like I said, there's a lot of barriers there. First off, there's no paradigm for evangelical Christianity in France. There's just none. And so if you're trying to break into that culture, it's very hard to get a, a, a foothold to get that common ground upon which to start, um, you know, doing that work and building that relationship. 60% of that country will claim to be Christian. Um, most of them are Catholic, but a, a vast majority of that is a cultural Catholicism. Um, even while 60% claim to be Christian, if you ask them, is religion important to you, only 13% will say yes. And so that cuts that 60 down, 60 number down quite a bit. Um, additionally, again, going back to their love of nation, if you ask uh, the average French person, which is more important to you, your relationship and your devotion to your country or to your God, a majority will say their country. And so uh, religion and religious beliefs is something that's just not a part of their lives. It was interesting that after the the attacks in Paris, um, the whole pray for France hashtag became pretty prevalent. And yet somebody from the Charlie Hebdo newspaper actually put together a cartoon that basically said, please don't pray for France. We don't want more religion here. And I think that that really mm-hmm. encapsulates the uh, the country's ideas. Another reason there, or another way that there are barriers is that with the influx of Islam into Europe, you have countries like France 
that are trying to protect themselves in different ways against it. And so they create these laws and these ordinances and things that make it just a little more difficult for the Muslims to evangelize and to start a mosque and to start meeting. But they craft these laws broadly because they don't want to just openly discriminate. And so what happens is it also makes it difficult for me. And so, for example, even if I'm just leading a small group in my home, if it is specifically religiously focused, I would have to be able to prove to the government that I am sponsored by a wing of, the, of Christianity that has been registered and approved by them. If I just go out on my own, then they will, um, in my case, they would just revoke my visa and kick me out possibly. Um, you know, but any type of religious activity has to you know, come under the, the guise of their bureaucracy in that sense. It's, it's definitely something they're monitoring as a result. And so those kind of issues are just what make the country difficult. Um, and the final thing, when you have a country that doesn't have a good footing for Christianity, traditionally the best way to do it is you say, okay, let's just go serve them. Let's go meet some physical needs. Let's go you know, build a bridge there, get them to trust us, and then we can uh, you know, work from there. But in a country like France, which more tourists go to every year than any country in the world because it's absolutely gorgeous, and where you know, compared to the world, they are incredibly developed and are not in a lot of need, you know, building those bridges via service um, is not something I think people have had a lot of success with either. So as you've been preparing to go to this place, um, place where it's going to be probably very difficult, what is your pre- your preparation process been like? What just tell us about you know how you're how you're thinking through seminary because you've been going to that, and I know from experience that's a, a whole thing in and of itself. And then um, also just what is your process been to prepare yourself? Uh, maybe as far as like language stuff goes, because you mentioned that, you know, you're, you really have to be on uh, point for that. So just just share share with us about your process, your preparation process so far. Well, one of the reasons that we felt called to Western Europe in general and then eventually to France was a two missionaries, Brett and Heather Siebold, who were in Germany for 10 years. Um you know, I got to hear them speak uh, as an undergrad and talk about how Western Europe was a place where uh, it was a battlefield of the mind. You know, that that's where you had that's where you had to address the need is you had to win people over with your mind and with your argumentation. Um, obviously not being argumentative, but with your knowledge and, and you had to convince them that there is truth that is needed. And I felt I felt that they were talking to me when they said I felt like that was part of my strength. And so this is one of the reasons why in choosing my degree, I chose theology. The French are very philosophical people. They love to float around ideas in their head. Now, the problem is if it's a life altering idea, they will rarely commit to it, but they do love discussion. They do love debate. And so I wanted a degree that matched that need. And so I went with theology because of that. Um, As far as, you know, meeting the needs of language, um, 
that's honestly not something I've worked a lot on. There are two uh, basic reasons for that. One is through the course of my uh, master's degree, I've had to learn Greek and Hebrew, and I tried doing French in the middle, and it just wasn't happening. And so I eventually uh, put that on hold. But the other is we've spent the last five years interviewing missionaries whenever we have the chance, um, just sitting them down and asking them question after question after question. And one of the things we kept hearing from missionaries in foreign-speaking countries is, you can do all the work you want here, but learning the languages in country is when you are going to truly become effective with it. And so one thing that we are purposefully doing is we are uh, spending our first year at a language school, and it is not going to be where we're doing ministry. And so uh, that entire time will be us focused on um our family adjusting to our new life in France and mastering the language and becoming more French ourselves. I like to say if France is red and America is blue, we want to spend that year becoming purple. And that's kind of how you know, we, we see that. And so uh, the language, we're looking at two language schools. Both of them are designed for missionaries. If you're not looking to do missions in a French speaking country, they will not accept you. And so we're really excited about that focus, about that support that would uh, come from a situation like that. And then as far as the practical ministry items are concerned, I mean, there are not vast you know, classes or uh, volumes on how to do ministry well in France, because honestly, not a lot of people do it. Um, so what we're going to do after language school is we're going to find ourselves in a situation where... Um, we can partner with people who are doing the work we want to be doing. And so, you know, basically we see step two after language schools being probably a, a two to five year, depending on how it all work, how it all works out internship, a time that we can learn from others, be a part of an established ministry and, uh, and hopefully build up connections for future uh, yeah, teamwork as well. Ultimately we do want to play in churches, but we're not stepping straight into that by any means we're, we're easing ourselves as much as possible. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's good. Glenn, as you've, uh, researched it and thought about it and been to France, uh, since our podcast is specifically, you know, help people preach and lead better. I was curious on, on what you thought would be some specific challenges, um, to specifically preaching and leading in France. So the preaching question is one that really uh, fascinates me. I did have an opportunity to preach while I was there a couple summers ago, but it was to mostly an English-speaking group. There were some French who were listening on headphones through translation. Um, you know, but even through that that one sermon, I learned that uh, for a country that seems so near to us in so many ways. Um, they're developed, they're Western. Uh, there are still differences and things that I'm not going to consider until I'm there. For example, during my sermon, I told a story uh, about my kids, and it really highlighted my role as a father. Now, for me, as an American, that's that's a valuable thing for a preacher to do. Being in a country where we see fatherhood, you know, going by the wayside in many different ways. 
Um, but I was told afterward by this British gentleman and somebody who's worked in France a long time that uh, telling a story like that actually um, conveyed feminine ideas that I was a, it basically painted a feminine portrait of myself and that may not be a, a very effective means of preaching there. And I would have never even considered that coming from my context. And so those are the things that, that are definitely going to be surprises around many corners. I'm sure the other issue is, you know, most of the country is predominantly Catholic, you know, about 3% that's traditionally pro, uh, Protestant, like Lutheran or reformed. And so, you know, for, for the Catholics, they'll be, uh, very much familiar if they have attended ever with the mass and then the others you have their liturgy but as far as uh, you know an evangelical independent type church doing you know whatever type of preaching and worship they would wish to organize I I get the idea that that's kind of a, a pioneering field and so you know what exactly is the type of preaching that will be effective there I'm not sure again, understanding the French and how much they value education and how much they uh, value you know, philosophy and like that. I really think that uh, you know, preaching deeply and uh, preaching theological ideas is going to be something that will work if you can get them into your church, that will you know, get them thinking and considering uh, the truth claims of Christianity. Um, but I have to tell you, I, I met preachers who were there and that's their full-time job. And what I saw as far as uh, you know, their situations, what they told me is that for those in country who are Christians, they are excited and they are hopeful and they work hard. And so being a leader in that situation is a beautiful, wonderful thing because, um, you know, if you as the leader say, hey, here's an opportunity uh, what I was hearing is that most of the church members there are going to respond by saying, okay, let's go do it. At the same time, I asked those same church leaders for stories. And how many adult conversions have you seen? What are you know, what are the things that have won people over Christ? And most of them had difficulty coming up with an example um, of <laughs> anything. And so you want to talk about difficulty, you know, one of the gentlemen that I'm thinking of has served there for 20 years and he didn't have a lot that he could convey me as far as practical ideas that have won people over to faith. And so this is where it's been a country of seed planting and how it's going to go from planting to harvest is still a mystery, even to those who are there. And so I guess the, to wrap that all up, I have no idea for a lot of these questions, but, um, I, I, I do think that, uh, if opportunities are going to come, the deep theological preaching is going to be key uh, to uh, to winning people over. I'm I'm curious if if you think that this would jive in France. Um, one of the classes I recently had at CCU was world religions, and it was looking about um, a lot of actually. I mean, the professor he was mainly he mainly worked with Muslims and. One of the things that he and one of the guys in our class who, who was used to be a devout Muslim and, and, uh, and converted to Christianity, he was talking about how in evangelism, we spend so much time 
trying to build a relationship. That's how we, you know, we're taught to do evangelism is to build a relationship before you ever have that kind of a conversation. And one of the things that he pointed out was that for, at least for them, they would rather you just be completely upfront with your, with your intentions to do that. Do you think that that's something that would be the same in France? I mean, I'm obviously you're not sure because you haven't tried it, but um, just from what you know about France, do you think that that is something that French people would respond to, especially since they have, you know, a deeply philosophical type of worldview and all of that? What do you think? Um, I think if you approached it from the idea of, you know, this is something I, you know, I'm going to be discussing with you. This is important to me. Um, you know, you should challenge me on this. I think almost if you went that direction, you might have something. Uh, but one of the difficulties with France is this is a country that is 25 to 30% uh, self-professed atheist um, or non-religious. And that's one of the highest percentages in the world. Well, I think that is the highest percentage in the world. It's at least in the top three or four. And so, oh, I guess my, my point in saying that is there is actually a resentment against religion mm. in France, whereas yeah. in a Muslim culture, there may be a resentment against other religions, but not religion in general. And so right. I, I don't know how that would necessarily translate. Uh, the other thing is French people are, you know, we don't always get this idea, but they're very polite in the sense that if you're walking down the street and you, you know, they're passing you, they're telling you bonjour everywhere you turn. I mean, there's this, uh, you know, feel on the street that everybody's, you're, you're, you're nice acquaintance and you should greet them and going into shops and stores, it's the same way. But as far as infiltrating a French person's life and their home, again, it's very, very difficult. I, I knew uh, people who were trying to do this. And so they would invite French people over to their home and they would come over and then they would say, oh, maybe I can come over sometime to your house. And there'd be maybe no response. They'd kind of ignore the, the comment. And then they would just like bake this nice ornate cake. One woman I met in particular was a wonderful cook. She'd make something lovely and nice and she'd take it to the front door of the house and say, hey, I made this for you. And the French family would say, oh, that's so nice for you. Take the cake, shut the door. Because their home <laughs> is precious, precious uh, real estate to them. And to get into it, it is not easy. It's, it's very much limited to very close family, very close friends. And so given that that is such an uphill climb, I, and given the resentment against Christianity, I would certainly fear the uh, the idea of opening a relationship with those types of intentions. Um, but at the same time, you know, something that was really impressed upon me when I was there is that whatever has been being tried to be done right now isn't working necessarily. And so I definitely want to have an openness to trying new things and to being bold um, because I think that it's going to eventually require that. To, uh, to forge into that country. Yeah. Glenn, do you have a uh, specific uh, city or region in France that you're going to? Do you have that 
all finalized or we we have two um that are uh definitely our front runners and it will be one of these two um it's something that we want to have finalized before we leave but at the same time if we can spend a year there you know praying about the decision meeting people in those countries you know we feel like that's valuable as well but the one option is bordeaux and the main reason that's an option is because that's where I spent my three weeks. And so if I went to Bordeaux tomorrow, I would know 25 people in the region, uh, three or four different churches, and that would present an incredible opportunity to learn from people and to do work there. Bordeaux is a city not too different in size from Cincinnati. So uh, we want to be in a situation like that, you know, where there's a lot of access to a lot of opportunities. And, uh, and so that, for those reasons, seems to be a very natural fit. Um, something, though, before going to Bordeaux, um, we had become very interested in Strasbourg. Um, and Strasbourg is right on the German border. If uh, Cincinnati is Strasbourg, then Kentucky is Germany. You just cross the river. Mm. And, uh, and so for that reason, and it's not too far from Switzerland or uh, even Belgium, and so for that reason, it's a culturally diverse city. And so for Americans going into a French context, going to a place where they're used to different people, different ideas, um, definitely makes sense. Additionally, it's a huge college town. I believe there's over 50,000 college students in Strasbourg. And if you remember my story, my call to ministry came out of a college, campus ministry. And my wife in that same campus ministry was actually baptized, came to faith. And so we definitely love the idea of keeping our, um, our options over, open for doing campus ministry. And additionally, there is a, uh, a Protestant uh, seminary there that offers a, uh, a PhD in theology. And that's another door that I'd like to keep open for my future. And I also see that as a really unique um, opportunity to infiltrate into a country is by studying there because... I, I'm almost, I'm very certain that even students within that program are not necessarily uh, believers. And so uh, that's something that, that also draws us to that city as well. And again, it's, it's a pretty large city about the size of Cincinnati, which is outside of Paris, about as large a city as you'll find in that country. And so uh, we see a lot of unique opportunities there. We also know that there are some uh, non-instrumental workers that are there. And uh, we've had some light communication with them, but uh, are looking to dive deeper into that in the next few months to see if that's a a real possibility for us. Glenn, with um, potentially going, well, not potentially, you are going, and going to a place where it's very post-Christian. For most of our listeners, um, they are Americans. They work in American churches. I'm curious if you would have any advice for us as we look at the trajectory of our country, kind of following the same path as Europe, things that we can do now um, to maybe better engage a more post-Christian culture, because that's where you're going. And so I'm curious if, if there are some things American church leaders can learn from what you've learned from being in Europe. I mean, I think that the one thing to consider is the path to becoming like France. I I believe 
it's not done through monumental steps. It's done through baby steps. And so, you know, every time we inch away from having our center in Christianity, uh, whether that's culturally, politically, or even within a church situation, you're inching away or uh, away from, uh, you know, the truth of, of the religion. Uh, that's, that's the path. It's not a, uh, it's not something that's going to happen tomorrow, but if left untouched, we'll be there in 20 years and everybody will be saying, Oh no. Um, and so while I'm not a very political person, that's not my area of interest. I really admire and, uh, and appreciate those who are fighting that battle, who are trying to maintain some ideals and maintain, you know, freedoms within that realm. Because, um, again, we look at countries like France and Great Britain and Germany, and they are crafting laws that are making you know, church work and evangelism a little more difficult. And so um, it's not too difficult to see where we could end up in the same place. But the other thing is, our opportunities for evangelism in this country right now are incredible. We still have this uh, this basic paradigm of Christianity. I mentioned to you, you ask a French person, is religion important to you? Only 13% will say yes. In America, it's something like 57%. And so even if they don't agree with your religion, you've got a, a coin flip of an opportunity that a person will at least think what you're talking about is important. And so that's an interesting and incredible opportunity. And it's something that when I came back just from three weeks um, in France, all the, my first Sunday at church uh, back here in the States was eye-opening. I looked around and said, this is so easy. Now, I know it's still really hard, but seeing a church with 200 people seeing a community where we can go out and knock on doors, um, seeing a place where we can just stop people and talk to them about Jesus and they'll at least humor us. Things like that are incredible opportunities. And so I guess my, my biggest hope for America is don't waste them because as soon as they're gone, um, they can disappear in 10 to 20 years. But from what we're seeing in France is you can't replace them in that time. It's going to take a lot longer. Um, it's a lot easier to fall down the hill than climb back up. So take advantage of what we have while we have it. Yeah. Um, so you've kind of touched on this throughout, Glenn, but uh, what are you most excited about as you prepare to go to France next January? I'm excited to be in country. I'm excited to see, you know, first um, our family adapting my kids learning the language, probably correcting me after two months. Um, <laughs> you know, having contacts and having to see, you know, right now I, I have people that I know in France and I can email them and talk to them. I'm looking forward to my wife having that, having people that she knows and being able to think about the country in that way. And that's where a lot of my focus is right now. Um, at the end of the day, I, I read about France being a missionary graveyard. I hear the testimonies of people who, you know, talk about how difficult it is, talk about working for decades and not seeing much fruit of anything. And I completely understand all of that. And yet the reason I'm going is because I do feel 
but more can be done. I do feel that there's a challenge there that can be overcome. And that might be me kidding myself. And I don't know that yet, but I'm excited to take on the challenge. I'm excited to dig in and to, uh, to do ministry in France. I truly love being a minister and the situation there um, just uh, as much as it scares me on some days, it, it really revs my engines on others. I, I love the idea of the impossible mission before me. And I can tell you just, again, the excitement of the believers there. I am excited to be working alongside of them. Um, I, w- I had the, the pleasure to lead a Bible study um, as well when I visited the country. And you know, the, the whole meeting, like the entire meeting was supposed to be an hour. Well, we spent the first hour, 15 minutes with the whole group just talking to me about the needs of France. And so we're already 15 minutes over time. And I said, well, I have a Bible lesson. Do you want me to do this? Well, yes, of course we want you to do it. And Joe's been in a few of my Bible lessons. Keeping it under an hour is an issue for me. And it went a while. And we were easily there over two hours. And yet their excitement at a Bible lesson from a seminary trained minister was something I was not prepared for. But then it dawned on me, they don't have that. They don't have seminary trained ministers around every corner. And so, you know, somebody who can take the Bible, you know, dive into the nuances, point out things they've not seen before, and then connect it to their situation in France, um, just blew their minds and, um, they were hungry for more. And when I think about that night and what I saw in the eyes and hearts of those believers, I, I want to be in France right now, and I'm excited to be there. That's great, Glenn. Thanks so much for sharing your heart for ministry and for the Lord with all of our listeners. I know that they've been blessed by the things that you've talked about and just your heart for it. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Glenn. Awesome. Hey, how can our listeners connect with you and maybe follow your journey as you prepare and then go um, to France? Do you do you have any social media or, or blogs or, or anything like that that you can share with them? Uh, we are we're we have a Facebook page, just French Christian Mission. Um, we do have a website as well. It's uh, FrenchChristianMission.org, and uh, that's something that uh, we're we're kind of developing our blog and. Hopefully here in the next month or so, we're really going to be uh, updating that frequently and consistently. But if they go to our website, all of our contact information is on there. And uh, anybody that contacts us, we're more than welcome to talk to them about it. Great. And is that a place where they can also uh, give to your to your mission as well? Yes, there are uh, donation buttons on there. And uh, currently, the buttons will lead you to a Stripe portal. But if you check back in about two weeks, that'll probably be PayPal for making that transition. So, yeah, there's, but there are opportunities to donate there on the website. Great. All right. Well, we'll definitely link to all of that in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to connect and uh, see what Glenn is doing in the future and right now, then you can go to rookiepreacher.com and you can find this episode and you can find all those links in there. So with that, we're so excited and so thankful that you joined us today on the Rookie Preacher podcast. Um, We just want to 
give you uh, just an encouragement. If this has been a blessing to you, then please go on to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating, review, and subscribe. That will just help this podcast get in front of more pastors and hopefully help more people preach and lead better. Until next time, I'm Brandon, and for Joe, uh, have a great week. Thanks.